Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights Podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsword and today I'm talking to DC Poulter. Hey, welcome DC and uh, thanks for joining us on the show today. Hey Daryl, thanks for having me. Looking forward to our chat. Yeah, likewise. You've got a fantastic story. Well, well several fantastic stories to tell, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, why don't you start, just give us a little bit of an introduction, a bit of background, and um, and I'll jump right in straight after that. And and I want to dig into your actual exits. So um, you've got some okay. uh, great experience to share. Sounds good. Right. So I'll keep it really short. I started off as uh, as an engineer, worked in the steel production industry, went back and got my MBA. Um, to join to to go into the marketing side, ended up at a startup in IT, and have been in IT startups for the past twenty five years with uh, with a couple of exits uh, along the way. It's not a typical journey for an engineer to uh, end up as an entrepreneur, is it? Well, um, I've seen more and more of it. Uh, when when I started, it was kind of rare. Nowadays, if you look at the MBA schools, you look at the startups that uh, that I work with, um, especially with with big challenges in places like climate change. I'm seeing more and more uh, engineers who are focused on instead of joining a big company saying, I've developed a new technology. I want to bring this to market myself as a, uh, as a new product. So we're seeing a lot of startups in the, in the Silicon Valley community that are uh, really engineering focused because that's where the, the biggest challenges are. So it's yeah. changed. Uh, yeah, things do change. So DC, I think you, you've, you've got a couple of exits under your belt. And um, and one of the things you're sharing with me is 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 going through those exits. I guess mm-hmm. they're never really as they seem. So so what happened with the first exit? You, you were right. sharing. Uh, so I brought stuff. a couple of props with me. So I got my my tombstone from the first exit here, and I got my tombstone from the second exit here. And the the tombstone from the second exit is bigger than the first one. So. Um, <laughs> Maybe that means something. Uh, the first one is quite a while ago, but it was a uh, an IT uh, products company made uh, network accelerators, was acquired by a partner that um, uh, was looking to integrate our technology into, into their technology. Um, so it's kind of your typical uh, partner, strategic partner sort of acquisition. And I, I think the problems that cropped out of it were pretty typical of the sorts of things you see with uh, with strategic partner acquisitions. They were roughly 50 times bigger than we were. And so their attitude was, great, we want to add your product into our portfolio. Um, we'll buy the company. It's, it's not, you know, it's not a big deal to us. Here's some money. Um, and then they said, okay, now go sell. Um, except they took away all of our sales channels because that competed with their, chan- their channels. Uh, but we couldn't sell through their salespeople because they didn't have a quota for it, so they weren't going to spend any time on it. Uh, basically, it came down to they were the big guys, we were the little guys. Um, they were smarter than us because they were bigger than us. You know, They looked at us as being an unsuccessful startup because we were small and they were big. So they got to set all the rules, even though they didn't understand our market niche. Um, and they gradually destroyed the business. And uh, I think we see that happening over and over with strategic partnerships that uh, they just didn't give it enough thought, right? Because it was just, you know, they were 50 times bigger. They're like, yeah, it's one little thing. It's not worth the time for the executives to really kind of figure out how to make it work. So they didn't. Um, And a sad story, uh, very frustrating, but not unusual in any way, I think. 
So, no, no, it's not unusual, that's for sure. And, and I guess if I'm reading between the lines, it sounds like that the acquisition, yeah, because it wasn't significant in the, in the size or the scale of things for them, they really didn't have too much invested in it. And so therefore yeah. they didn't plan it. There was no real strategy. There was no right. alignment or no plan to make it succeed or make the integration. None succeed. at all. Yes. And I knew that going in, which was really frustrating for me because I was kind of the point person for the deal and I was against the deal. I, yeah. I saw a disaster coming. Um, but the other people, especially the, the original founders really wanted to, you know, the, the money was attractive for, especially for them and they wanted, uh, they wanted out and they, they got money. So it worked out well for them. Um, but I kind of knew it wasn't going to work out because we just, even during the, the negotiations, we weren't getting the attention to the deal that was needed. They were very much, um, here's our terms, take it or leave it for everything without really kind of considering uh, the situation, but their attitude is, well, we're big and we can't make exceptions because then we have to make exceptions for everyone. And we're like, but we're in a little bit of a different business and there's some special circumstances. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, take it or leave it. So I knew from the beginning that it was not looking promising. Um, and the whole deal negotiations were frustrating and I kind of saw what was coming. So, um, you know, it was an exit. <laughs> it was good for, for some of the people. Um, but uh, for for uh, other people is very frustrating. So okay, so and because of their their size and their scale and and you know they they are effectively bullying you guys, um, pushing you around, calling the shots, you know, and as you said, take it or leave it attitude. Yeah. But it sounds like there. So how many shareholders were in your business? There were seven. Seven um, plus plus yeah uh, plus so there were seven there were two original owners plus uh, five other people including myself that came on later and had a, and and went through a reorganization had significant uh, shareholdings and then the other employees had had options to to some extent so everybody had something invested in I mean a small organization had something invested in uh, in, in the uh, in the exit okay so. And you mentioned that it was worthwhile, the exit was worthwhile for some and not so much yes. for others. So I'm, I'm taking yes. it. Yeah. Not everyone was aligned. Uh, yeah. And in particular, it was really tough on me because I was the head of sales and marketing. And as part of the deal, we all had a non-compete. Non so for the engineers, um, you know, if they stayed, great. If they didn't, it is easy to find another, you know, development job. Um, but in my position where I was kind of the pace of the company to the outside world, um, I was heavily invested in the particular industry and the trade shows and the relationships and the people. Um, a a non-compete meant that I really didn't have another any other options. Um, right. And so uh, that made it the most uh, challenging for me. Yeah, so you're, you got a non-compete, you've got all of your career, your your reputation, yeah. your yeah, your I, had, I had ten years kind of invested in building the the business and building our reputation in that business, and uh, I really didn't have anywhere else to go after that. And so the exit for you sounds like it didn't, it wasn't substantial enough for you to not work again, um, right. but maybe buy a bit of time. Yeah, so um, I sound like I'm complaining, but in the end, it worked out uh, as these things often do that it was enough that I could then build my own startup, which is, you know, I didn't have to go out to investors. I didn't have to beg and scrimp. Um, you know, I, I could work for two years essentially on no salary 
um, and be able to invest in building a new business. Um, and that's what we did. And that turned out to be a much bigger success for, for me personally. Um, so in the end, it worked out great. <laughs> it kind of pushed me into doing something that I might not have done otherwise that ended up uh, I really uh, enjoyed and, you know, and, and turned into a financial success as well. So um, that ended up being the stepping stone to the, the next step in my career. So the first exit, um, I wasn't the founder. So, um, you know, the, the financial rewards were they were substantial. They just weren't, you know, like I said, they weren't enough to retire on. Um, and uh, so it did push me into in, into creating my own startup afterwards. Okay. So before we, we, we go on to your next startup, given that we're, we're exploring uh, the learnings and uh, so that other founders and, and people considering an exit can learn, right? What, what are the learnings from that first one from you? If you were to go through that, if you were in that situation again, what would you do different or what would you advise other shareholders who are minor shareholders perhaps uh, about to go through an exit, you know, what, what they could do or, or learn from your experience? Yeah, so if I had it to do over and it was my decision what to do instead of uh, uh, selling the company at that point, I would have, and this is all with hindsight, right? And where the industry went and it wasn't obvious at the time, but with hindsight, I would have gone off and gotten venture capital and grown that business to be uh, 10 times, 100 times bigger than, than it was. And that opportunity was there. Um, and somebody else went ahead and did that. So, I, you know, that was kind of regretful. Uh, we were hoping that our partner would do this, but, um, and, and I see this a lot of times with, um, with acquisitions. Uh, there's there's this idea of this bigger company is going to acquire you, they're going to take the product, they're going to put it into their channels, they're going to give you the opportunity. Uh, that would be difficult for you to do yourself. Um, and so it kind of feels like, okay, now I've got the money behind me, I can do what I wanted to do, but you find out, yes, uh, you've got their money behind you, but you're going to do what they want you to do, not what you want to do. And uh, I've seen that happen over and over again. So really go into it with your eyes open of, uh, especially if there's earnouts involved, you know, how much control are you going to have over those earnouts? Um, you know, are they going to take away your sales channel, in which case you're not going to make your earnouts? Um, are you going to be moved? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and if your goal is really to build out the product and 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 make it what you want it to to be, I think you need to make sure you're really in strategic alignment with the management of the uh, of the company that's acquiring you. And also keep in mind that that company um, over the course of the next two to five years may go through their own challenges and decide, yeah, um, we're going to lay off all the people that we acquired in these little things that aren't core to our business because that happens a lot too. So um, just because you're in complete alignment with the current management doesn't mean you're going to be in complete alignment with the new management a year from now. Yeah, look, the, the point is if you don't own the business, you've lost control. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and by the sounds of it, if, you, if, we're, if we're applying the learnings, if, if we went down the VC route, I guess mm -hmm. if there are a couple of people who, who were really keen to, to exit at some point, as part of a VC deal, you could clean up the uh, shareholding and, and ensure those who are, who are aligned to the strategy, the, 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 the crank it up strategy, you know, you've got an aligned leadership and management team all driving for that, that, that same next Next goal. Well, that's, that sounds easy, but the VCs don't like that, right? They don't want key people leaving, and they definitely don't want key people taking their money to leave. 
Um, yeah. You might be able to let them go and they stay on it as, as advisors and they keep their shares, but being able to um, have an exit themselves without uh, without the company exiting is kind of the opposite of the whole VC philosophy. Uh, works yeah. well with private equity though. So private equity guys are, you know, are very happy to do that. So if you're in the growth uh, stage and can bring in private equity, then they want to work with you on that. They're like, okay, I mean, this is kind of how private equity works of, uh, yes, we have a successful business already. Um, and if we give them another 10 million, $20 million, we can, you know, we can grow it to a hundred million dollar business. And there's, you know, one or two key people who want to retire. So we want to replace them. We'll bring in our people. We'll kind of take the company to the next levels. So that's the way the private equity people think. And that may be a good fit. We weren't quite to that stage yet. Um, Whereas the VCs are like, no, no, we're going to give you a million dollars and you're going to grow it to a hundred million dollars. And you're not, we're not giving you very much. So you better not be taking it out for anything. You can't repay loans. You can't give money to founders. You can't even give yourself a good salary. The idea is to scrimp and, and, uh, and save and get yourself up to, to, to the next levels where the company is worth, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and, and, and they make a huge profit. Okay. So, We've gone, in hindsight, we, we could have explored our options a bit more, done some more work with the leadership team, got everyone aligned to, to a strategy, um, and, and ideally have done this work before we went to market, or so we knew in advance, if anyone did come on, on knocking on our door unexpectedly, we would know how we would react. Um, yeah, and, and, and even yes. with the best made plans, you know, sometimes an offer comes through that just totally catches you off guard and it's just yes. too good to do anything with. And Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, no matter how good your plans are beforehand, you know, they reality always catches you unaware. So you got to be able to, to, to adjust quickly. Totally. But without a plan, you, you, you're left nasal, navel gazing anyway. Okay, yep. so you've... You've exited this business. It wasn't how you would, would have loved it to have been. It, it set you up for a little bit, but uh, but from, there were some exclusions there and, and some constraints. So you're now forced to uh, change careers and, and look at new options. Yep. What did you do? You, you started a new a new startup yourself, got it up and running. Um, yep. Looked pretty good. Um, you were in total control this time. So there were actually two of us. So the two of us were in total control, uh, yeah. but that sets up some other issues when you have everything being 50 50 um, It's very much like a marriage. Right. So that's kind of the challenge of a of a 50 50 uh, partnership where both parties have to agree on everything, um, yeah. which we usually did. So it worked out really well, but um, not always. Okay, so and you, when you don't, there's nothing to do other than argue about it until you until you do come to some uh, compromise. Yeah, you need some sort of framework for agreement, don't you? Okay, yep. so we've you're in your second business now. This time you're the founding shareholder as opposed to the the new right. kid on the block, so to speak. Was there anything that you consciously did when setting up this new company with your partner, knowing that you're now a founder as opposed to uh, you know, a, a secondary shareholder, that you, that you applied from your learnings from the previous business? Well, so both of us came out of the previous company and we were both um, kind of frustrated with what had happened there. So we were very conscious about kind of what rules we were going to set and um, what sort of limitations we were we were going to put in place for you know non non competes if that ever came up, um, so 
So we did a lot of, I mean, the previous company, the first company did a fantastic job kind of bootstrapping itself into being a successful business. And we replicated that. So 95% of what we did, we just replicated what we had done before. Um, and then there was just the 5% that we didn't like. And we're like, okay, well, we're going to do that differently. And so we, we ended up with this really uh, kind of the biggest thing was we kind of thought through, and I recommend everybody do this, especially when you have two shareholders, two 50, 50 shareholders, what happens if one of us gets hit by the proverbial bus? Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of people don't figure that out. Um, and, you know, my my partner was responsible for the product development. I was responsible for the business side development, but we made sure uh, at all times there was um, either of us could take over for the other. But we also had to think through, you know, what happens if one of us um, can't work anymore or uh, is incapacitated or killed or um, there's always a case of divorce. Uh, what happens now in, in California, if I'm a 50% shareholder and I get divorced, um, now you have a, uh, my, my ex-wife becomes a 25% shareholder with my 25%. So, um, you have to set special rules and get the spouses to agree to them as well, that they get the money, but they don't get the shares. And so we had to think through all of these issues and what would happen and what would be the valuation of the business if one of the partners had to buy out the other. And we ended up, um, you know, since we're both engineers with this really complicated algorithm that, that involved game theory and, you know, one side will put an offer on the table and the other side can either accept it or, uh, um, or, or reject it, in which case, you know, if they re you know, so it was really complicated. It's probably too complicated, but it gave us a framework to to work from that we were happy with. That ended up never actually getting used, fortunately. But it was yeah. it was there. It sounds like this is a situation where lawyers may have actually made it easier and simpler. Um, yeah, except the lawyers don't think like mathematicians and engineers. So we had to come up with the algorithm because they were like, "You guys are crazy. Why you just like put put something in there that says a third party is going to give you a valuation?" It's like. Uh, no, you don't understand startups. Startups, the valuations are, you know, uh, no one can really tell your valuation other than you guys. So um, we came up with our own algorithm. We gave it to the lawyers and they they coded it wrong. So we had to redo everything. I was used okay. to doing contract negotiations anyway. So I ended up doing most of it. And uh, we got frustrated with the lawyers who couldn't do it right. So the point being, though, you had some predetermined Yes. buy sell shareholders yes, agreement yes yes we, we had a very a very detailed buy sell agreement between us yeah. and and yeah it's a really important point you know we we need to plan for an unplanned exit yes. just in case because yeah yes. otherwise our, our spouse will end up with you know um otherwise yes the lawyers and the courts are going to make the decisions for what's best for your business instead of you so <laughs> You need to think it through beforehand and have uh, have the paperwork in 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 the background there. Uh, and what I what I recommend, you know, even to all, all startups that I work with, um, is that they do something similar. And you make you you, you can't make it personal. You have to make sure it's not personal. And that's why I call it the proverbial "hit by a bus" scenario. What happens? Worst case, one of you is is dead or incapacitated. Um, and you know, you've already got a successful business. How is that going to continue on? What are your shares worth? You may have a family, you want the family to benefit from that, but you can't hurt the business at the same time. So how is that, yeah. you know, it's, how is that going to be dealt important. with? It, yeah. There's just too Absolutely. many situations where yep. 
where that has been enacted and, yep. and it's ruined, you know, more than one family's lives. Yes. Okay. So, so we're in the second business this time. You're, you're in control with your business partner. You've started it up. You've applied the learnings from um, um, your previous life. You've got the business to a stage where you want to exit. I'm assuming that everything went smoothly at this stage yes. and yes. you just created the perfect exit. So, uh, that's, that's the high level and it worked out well. Uh, we dive into the details. It's never that neat. Um, you know, the business is never, businesses are never running smoothly, right? The economy's changing. There's good days. There's bad days, especially for startups is there's always something going wrong, but, uh, overall it actually went extraordinarily well. Uh, the company was successful. It was generating kind of, uh, almost ridiculous levels of, of profits. Um, and I was actually bored. <laughs> uh, I ended up doing the same thing for more than 10 years. Uh, we had one product, it was a niche product, um, and kind of, it, it's, it sold itself. Everybody knew who we were. It, there wasn't a lot of need for new features. There, wasn't, there really weren't much in the way of competitors. So um, from my point of view, and really I was an energy engineer and I saw energy sustainability as, as the defining problem of our times and I'm like, why am I kind of sitting here in an office selling networking equipment that kind of sells itself? Um, either I need to expand this um, and, and kind of do something a lot more exciting out of it or uh, really go back to what I wanted to be the purpose in my life, which was working on energy sustainability. So uh, I, uh, I wanted to get out. And uh, not easy for a small business to, to especially a tech business, if you have a consulting business, actually, that's not a good example either. Um, some businesses are easy to sell um, and some businesses, especially tech businesses, where it's very specialized, you have a very small team. Um, most people look at it and say, you know, call us when you're 10 times larger and then and then, then we'll be interested in acquiring you. But before then, it's uh, it, it's hard. So um, we weren't sure there was a potential exit, uh, but we we worked with a, a broker. Um, I was, both of us were very skeptical that they'd be able to find a, uh, someone who would be interested in acquiring the business. So we worked out a deal where we said, you know, they wanted a fairly large retainer and we're like, um, you know, if you really believe in this, we'll pay you double your success fee, but, uh, no, no retainer. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to sell it for you. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Uh, and so that's what ended up happening. And sure enough, they were right. They, uh, they found a, uh, a private equity, a small private equity firm that was looking to, uh, buy up, uh, small, uh, small businesses and, um, uh, and take them to the next level. And, uh, they had some, uh, some background in, in it and they, uh, they thought this was a great fit. So it worked out from that point of view, it worked out great. But then, of course, I guess we'll we'll probably get into this. There's always operational challenges. It never works out the way you you want it to or the way you expect it to. So, so what were the issues with that exit? That, you know, the deal's done. Uh, so the exit was the, the challenges there were mostly in bringing on the new team, and I thought that would be easy because the product really did sell itself. I call myself the world, I was responsible for sales, but I call myself the world's worst salesperson. I am not a good salesperson. Um, I, I hate doing sales. I don't do a good job of it. And, you know, I, I see all these salespeople, they're sales force and 
um, and, and their, you know, their, their processes and their funnels. And I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of work. I don't want to do that. Uh, so, yeah, and, and, and all the salespeople listening to this, you're like, God, oh, you're a horrible salesperson. And yes, yes, you are absolutely right. I'm a horrible salesperson. So I thought, you know, if, if you brought in a real team that knew how to do sales and, uh, and, and knew how to manage the business better, uh, you could actually get a lot of growth out of the business. There's a lot of opportunities there that, that we didn't really go, go after. Um, but finding the right person since uh, both of the founders left and one was the head of development and the other one was the, you know, was the, was the head of the business side uh, was a real challenge. Uh, I thought it would be a lot easier to just bring in somebody who could run the business, hire a salesperson um, and kind of, you know, who, who knew the industry and uh, be better than me doing it. And it turns out, you know, the, the first person we hired just wasn't the right fit. Um, is a great guy um and and kind of knew the reseller market but didn't know how to run a manufacturing business which is fundamentally what we were or product development business um and so that didn't work out uh then we brought in the next person but the incentives weren't uh, aligned uh the incentives from the and, and you know we still had an earn out right so we still were invested in this we uh we didn't get you know, we didn't get all the money up front, so we still own shares in the business. We still had a uh, a large amount of the uh, of the acquisition would be paid after five years. So, um, and besides, you know, this had been my life for ten years. I knew all the customers. I knew the product. I was personally invested in it as well. So, even if there's nothing on the line, I wanted the 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 acquisition to to succeed. So it was, it was frustrating that the um, the private equity people were like we we want this to grow very rapidly because we want this to be a huge success so the incentives for the new ceo were tied to a uh, very high growth rate so it was like you know do great and you'll be rich and uh if not you get paid a base salary and so what they do then you know of course then it's uh start swinging for the fences and uh and strike out so they ended up converting a uh, an it business into what else a uh um a blockchain company uh, because that looked like, you know, the big thing is going to be a huge hit and be acquired for hundreds of millions of dollars. And that turned out to be a complete disaster. So uh, then that person left and they brought in another person who, who righted the ship, but that took, you know, close to close to three years before we really got back to the solid footing where we were when, when, when the acquisition happened. I, you know, I thought it'd be three months, not three years. So it dragged on a bit this one by the sounds of it. Yeah, I meant going through, you know, three uh three different CEOs and, and a lot of upset and um confusion in, in the process that I had not expected at all. Okay. So so there's the second deal. It's you know, and what what were the key learnings from the second deal? The first one we, we talked about getting their shareholders aligned yeah. and, and, and and to the vision. The second one, where where what could uh, so a very to, obvious yeah. one is make sure the uh, the incentives for the new team are set properly. And if you really want to swing for the fences, then, you know, that's that's a risk factor that um, you have to accept that if you miss, you're going to strike out. Um, and if your goal is to kind of build the business continuously, you set a different set of incentives for the for the new team. Um, 
And uh, so that was kind of the obvious one. I guess the less obvious one is it never goes as easy as you think it's going to. Everything that seems like common sense to me, like you ought to do this, you ought to do this. New people came in and said, well, you know, you're the world's, world's worst sales person. Why were you doing that? Let's do, do it completely differently. It turns out, you know, I am the world's worst salesperson, but uh, over 10 years, I had kind of figured out just by accident what worked and what didn't work. And so when they decided, yeah, that was all stupid, we're gonna do it all differently, um, it took them a couple of years to realize, well, I, I tried those things and it didn't work. It was worth trying again, but they, you know, they, they shouldn't have given up on what was working too. Yeah. And, and it sounds like um, you know, that may have been fast tracked if you had the right functional structure behind you guys when the deal was done. Um, if that functional structure was yep. all set up, ready to go. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So DC, how long ago was that, that second exit now? Oh my God. Uh, it was already five years ago. Time is flying. So five years ago, you, you look like a, a young guy still. You're classic entrepreneur. You're entrepreneur. missing all the gray hair in here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's just the stress of the couple of deals. Um, but, but entrepreneurs are, are energy people. And, and I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and, and when they're looking and they're, they're starting to think about exiting their business, you know, they've always got a story similar to, you know, something along the lines, well, I just want to sell the business and, and, and drink pina coladas on the beach. And, mm -hmm. and that's a great vision. And they, they think it's going to last a while. But, you know, you know, experience tells us that after about three weeks, your typical entrepreneur yes. is going to get bored. So... Yeah, five years for you. What? Yeah, did that happen to you? And 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 how did you overcome the boredom? And what are you doing now? Yeah, so I actually had the opposite experience. Um, my goal in selling the business was to be able to kind of get out of the full time, you know, more than full time job that I was doing at, at that point, so that I could focus on what was more important to me. Uh, Career-wise, was uh, energy sustainability. That was my original background. That was my passion. And my goal was to, to kind of build a new startup in that space. Um, that frustratingly really didn't work out the way I expected. I thought, okay, now I've got all this business experience. I know how to build a startup. Um, I'll find a couple scientists who are building their own startups and uh, I will, uh, I'll join them as the business person and we'll make a, we'll make a new, uh, we'll make a new startup and, uh, you know, be the CEO of, of you know, number three. Uh, or I would join a larger company as, as the head of marketing, as marketing is my specialty, um, and uh, kind of use my expertise there. Neither of those worked out. Uh, the big companies were like, well, you have no, you have no experience in our field, so, you know, we're not going to hire you. So that didn't work out, and I probably wouldn't have worked out well anyway, joining a, uh, a larger organization after kind of being in my own for a long time. So that's probably for the best. Uh, the smaller startups were, um, were a little bit frustrating that um, kind of coming in as the business person afterwards, they always looked at me as, well, you're the sales guy. We're the founders. You're the sales guy. Uh, and I'm like, no, no, I'm a co-founder here. And so we ended up kind of with a mismatch on uh, I wanted to have, you know, especially being older and experienced, um, having the input in, in the company strategy and the product strategy and, and everything else. And they're like, no, 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 you're the, you're the hired sales guy, go sell. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm the world's worst salesperson. You don't want me as the salesperson. So 
uh, I ended up being like chief marketing officer for uh, a number of smaller um, you know, startups that weren't ready for a full-time chief marketing officer. And I thought, okay, well, here's the best of both worlds that I could work on multiple ones at the same time, kind of be a consultant, uh, kind of know what, you know, work on what I know uh, best of being the, you know, the, the marketing person, work with the founding teams, kind of help bring the product to market. And I thought it would be the best, wor best of both worlds that, you know, I wouldn't have the daily responsibility that does make your hair go gray and, and, and tear it out of, you know, trying to try and get orders in and, you know, dealing with hiring employees and, and all that other sort of daily management stuff, uh, you know, to get up at 5 a.m. to deal with Asia, with uh, Europe and then work until 11 o'clock to deal with uh, with Europe that I've been doing. Okay, I could just be the, the person who comes in and do the marketing. Um, but I found that didn't work out for me because, again, I'm used to being the person who kind of set the strategy and knew what to do. And uh, I was working with younger people. And again, they were like, yeah, you're you're the hired guy here. I'm like, I, I don't need a job. I, I, I want to be a co-founder and like, but, you know, this is our business. So um, the lack of responsibility um, kind of took a load off, but it also made it not a good fit for somebody who is used to shouldering the responsibility. So uh, I kind of um, found it around for a while. Like, okay, I'll do some investing, I'll do some mentoring, I'll do some, you know, some some uh, roles at, at startups and chief marketing officer, and I'll look around for, for my next investment. In the meantime, I'll do some some writing, which has always always been a hobby of mine. And for a while, it was just killing me. Okay, I really want to be back in charge. I want to be running a business. I want to be, uh, I want to be building a, a startup, and everything else is just kind of um, the process to get me there. Um, and I realized I wasn't going to get there. That that yeah, if I was going to do my own startup, I was going to have to do my own startup. And this idea of like joining a startup in 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 process as the business guy wasn't going to work. But I'm not the product guy, so I can't really do my own startup. But I did find everything I was doing, I was actually enjoying. Um, and it turns out, you know, boredom. Forget about that. I am busier now than I was when I was full time running a business. Um, between investing in startups with a number of groups and mentoring startups um, and doing writing in every free moment I have, and then kind of helping out on marketing in a, in a few places, being on a few boards. Uh, you know, my day is completely packed to its meetings and anytime I don't have, I'm busy, uh, busy writing. So I'm busier now than I was before. Uh, not getting paid very much for it, but that's fine. Cause I can, yeah, I, I, I was lucky with the last acquisition that I, money is less the issue and it's more about kind of being involved if any of these startups actually you know hit it big then i get some shares and, and they'll do great if not um i still feel like i'm i'm being productive and using my skills um in a, in a broader way than just building one product okay so so you've used the the writing um you you've, you've mentioned that a few times yeah is that what's taken up a lot of your time and and energy and 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 what ignites you at the moment yeah, so every free moment that I have that isn't in a meeting with startups is spent uh, writing and then now promoting my writing. Um, so I, I started off at writing a, a novel, um, a mystery novel about a startup in Silicon Valley that was uh, a lot like there and I was doing some very uh, 
sketchy things, uh, maybe even murder, uh, or at least hiding some some dangerous uh, side effects of their products they don't want people to know about. Um, and so that took up a lot of time. Uh, but at the same time, I found as I was mentoring startups that they were uh, the same questions over and over again, that people were not understanding, you know, early stage startups were not understanding what investors wanted. They weren't understanding what, what needs to be in the pitch deck. Somebody gave them a template, they filled it out, but they weren't really getting the, the gist of it. So um, I ended up mentoring, um, you know, tens to hundreds of, of companies over, over the years. And it's the same questions, the same mistakes over and over again. And I am a writer. So instead of like repeating the same thing over and over again, I started writing it down. I started writing little articles. I put up my own blog that nobody actually read. Um, and I started putting the articles on Medium and I ended up with um, you know, hundreds to, to, to thousands of people reading each, each article. I'm like, well, this is great. Okay, so now instead of working with companies one-on-one, -on -one, I can write an article you know, once or twice a week and get out to a broader audience. At the same time, I continue working with the, with the startup. So um, that ends up taking up a lot of my time of kind of codifying the things I'm talking about in mentorship in articles at the same time I'm working on my uh, my uh, fiction novels that in fact the last the, the my first one which I finished two years ago was finally published uh, uh, last month and so uh, I'm also out trying to, to promote that as well okay well we'll put a link to that in the yep. show notes oh but yeah I have yeah, yeah. props here <laughs> to kill the unicorn oh, yeah, yeah. my uh, my novel about Silicon Valley and startups and kind of evil startups so a lot of business owners and, and, and people who have exited their business tend to write, you know, business novels. You've kind of written business fiction if there is such a, a genre. Yes. So, and, yeah, uh, there's plenty of books out there, how to succeed as a startup, uh, you know, and, and how to do you know, the legal stuff, the accounting stuff, the marketing stuff, the sales stuff. There's there's great books already. I mean, I don't want to repeat that, um, but I, I want to tell a story. So um, I, I started writing a novel about a, Silicon Valley startup that was um, really sketchy, um, but you know, like like Theranos, they they were the hottest thing in Silicon Valley, um, and they were getting billions of dollars in venture capital, and they were going to revolutionize the whole transportation industry. Um, but you know, when there's a trillion dollars on the line in, in an IPO, you know, are you if you have bugs in your product, are you going to tell people about it? Now, you know, it depends on how ethical you are, but, uh, and, and, and I think most founders would, but there's a subset that, you know, would just hide it in the back room and say, oh, you know, we're not going to tell the world about this. It might kill the users, but, you know, overall it's still worthwhile. So, you know, let's, uh, let, let, let's, let, let's keep that hidden. It's pure fiction, right? Uh, yeah, it's pure fiction. Um, there, there's elements that are based on Theranos, but Theranos was uh, was about um, uh, blood testing. This is about transportation, so it's not a it's not a one to one. Uh, so yeah, it's not a particular company, um, but I really did try to make it very real realistic about life in Silicon Valley, and the characters are kind of very strongly based in in, in particular areas in Silicon Valley. So. Just bring it to a close. You know what I've noticed is is um, in our conversation today, DC, that um, you, your energy is, is is really lit up when you started talking <laughs> about you know the writing and the authoring. So and you know yeah, as opposed to the energy when you were talking about um, you know it, it was a little more subdued, not much with you, but uh, a little <laughs> more subdued 
when um, when you're talking about the exits from the other business. So, is is that kind of the message you want to bring and share to the to the to the audience today? Is you know what I normally ask, what's the key message that you want people to to take away from our conversation today? Yeah, and, and I think that's like the perfect question here. I, I thought the thing that was going to be my passion, I was going to devote the rest of my life to, uh, was energy sustainability, and I still stay involved in that on a, as much as I possibly can. Um, but it turns out my passion was was writing, and whether that's writing about building startups or writing about uh, uh, fiction about Silicon Valley, um, that's turned out to be what's animated me. So. Um, I think the answer is yes. Now that you don't have to worry about money every day, um, you can work on what your passion is. But you may find out that what you thought your passion is, um, at least is a full-time occupation. I mean, be, you're passionate about golf, but really how much golf can you play, right? Um, over yes. you know the next 20 years of your life, do you really wanna play two rounds every single day? Probably not. I think it would get boring. So um, it may be that what you're, passionate about uh turns out to be something that wasn't what you thought when uh when you were uh you were getting yourself ready for the acquisition so so look um i think it's 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 similar to our message from the the business owners who who want to go and sip pina coladas um go and play golf you know after a couple of weeks, after a few weeks, you know, the pina coladas you know, become a bit tasteless. You know, golf yeah. is great. They fuel their, fuel their passion with golf. Um, but unless they're doing something meaningful is the feedback I get, like, you know, president of the golf club, yeah. um, you know, commodore of the yacht club, and you know, they're doing something meaningful. They're doing something that taxes them and challenges them. Yep. You know, they're not really satisfied. And, yeah. and if they've got something that they, they're clear that they can move on to, that'll really help with their transition from business owner and having all of their identity wrapped up in their business and their ownership of the business and helps them ease into the next part of life, whatever that is. And it's, yes. you know, retirement's you know, not, not a common word nowadays because you know, the, the, the generations that are leaving work now just aren't retiring. They're, they're just, they're doing active. They may not be yes. in paid roles, but they're in high energy, high value. They're, they're contributing in a big way. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that I think is the key that now that I don't have to worry about where my paycheck is coming from, um, I can work on and still work. I mean, writing is not like, you know, it's not like playing golf and it's like, yeah, I got a hole in one or something like that. It's sitting there with a computer all day work is harder work than than work was. Right. Um, but uh, it is what I'm passionate about. And I can do that without having to worry about, you know, how, how am I going to make the rent and pay the bills and, uh, and and survive the next year? Brilliant. Hey, look, DC, look, I really do appreciate you uh, taking your time to share your, your story with us today. And, and just, I guess, your words of warning about, you know, business owners who are preparing and, and, and getting ready. Um, thanks for your time. We'll put Absolutely. a link to your book uh, in the show notes because I'm sure it's a great read uh, when, we're, when we're winding down and trying to clock off from business. Sounds great. Appreciate that. So thank you for, for having me on the show. I really enjoyed this. Likewise.